You're listening to Surfer vs. Planet, a wave changer podcast hosted by me, Tom Wilson. Each episode features inspiring talks from the creative space where surfing and sustainability meet. I'll be talking to surfers, designers, industry experts, and original thinkers, highlighting some of the fascinating work going on here in Australia and around the world with the aim of creating a greener, cleaner, and more responsible surfing industry. Wave Changer is a program of Surfers for Climate, and you can learn more about our work at wavechanger.org and surfersforclimate.org.au. The whole team at Wave Changer and Surfers for Climate acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging. I'm here with Emil and Alistair from Sign Surf, based here in Sydney. Sign Surf produces some of the most eco-friendly timber surfboards you can find. They're based here on the northern beaches of Sydney and relatively new to the scene after winning the Generation Impact Incubator, an initiative of the Ocean Impact Organization. They're also based in Sydney just a couple of years ago. Since then, they've been developing better manufacturing methods on a journey to produce even better boards. Thanks for joining us, Emil and Alistair. How's things in the build up to Christmas? Are you keeping busy, catching any waves? Hey, Tom. Um, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, things are going pretty good um, for us, you know, just uh, spending those long days in the factory, working on the boards. And um... yeah, cool. So, whose idea was it to come up with a surfboard business? Uh, so that was actually my idea, um, which actually came about um, because I bought, you know, just your regular old um, epoxy board and uh, it snapped on its first surf. So um, I was a bit, uh, you know, a bit annoyed at that. And, um, you know, soon after that happened, I I went back to the surf shop and I was like, hey, look, um, clearly there's just some manufacturing fault. You know, it wasn't even big surf and the board's like fully creased. So um you know may, maybe i could get another board and luckily luckily they were nice enough to give me another board but um he, he just like um came at me and said you know this is this happens all the time it's just the way surfboards are made so you know i just grew a bit interested in in how they were made the processes and um timber surfboards caught my eye and um and it became um you know apparent that um, some timber surfboards were made in a way that was, you know, really, really um, high performing, you know, they could be a high performance surfboard. Um, but the problem was that there was just such a, you know, like a, like a hurdle with the labor times and the cost of the, the product, which made these boards really scarce. So I just, just began um, brainstorming and thinking of whether there was a way to make them in a more efficient way that would make them more available and affordable. Yeah, I think that... Um... Timber boards are having a bit of a, a revolution at the moment. I think that's the wrong yeah, word. Definitely a, a revolution because um, it's coming back in style, right? After it was originally used by the Hawaiians and the Peloponnesians. Yeah, it's come come full circle essentially yeah. when you think about it. Um, you know, uh, Barry Barry Bennett. Um, a lot of the companies in Sydney who sort of introduced foam blanks, you know, and using polyurethane and polystyrene foam to construction, they previously, you know, actually used to make wooden boards, you know, a very similar way to what, you know, they're still kind of made now by hand, you know, hand shapers and sort of like very fine woodworking. And then the 
you know the the you know very low cost of plastic and the availability of of foams kind of made that die out because you know no one ever really thought about the environmental impact you know it was purely a consumer thing you know at the time it produced a better quality product making the board out of foam and um uh, and che- it was far cheaper as well but you know that's that's only considering the the initial cost you know not like the overall life cycle cost or anything like that can you tell us a little bit about the materials and manufacturing methods involved in making your surfboards yeah so when we were designing the product we really wanted to keep it as simple as possible in terms of you know like using the least amount of materials that we could and um, being able to make them in the most direct way possible just to um you know, be able to make them more efficiently and to, to save costs um, at very diff- various different parts of the process. So, you know, the, the, the core of the surfboards is Polonia timber, and it's the only sort of timber we use. And, you know, we've chosen this timber not because it's the lightest. There is a, a lighter timber, which is balsa wood. But we've chosen it because it has a, an extremely high strength to weight ratio. So, even though it's not the lightest for the weight that it is, it's it's extremely strong. Which means, and 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 originally, our our um, goal was to essentially be able to make these boards and to to use the strength of the timber um, to sort of alleviate the need for fiberglass completely. Now, recently, we've we've found that it's actually, you know, probably not not um, as sustainable to do that as it is to add a thin layer of fiberglass um, such that the durability of the product is increased. Because if you don't have any fibers embedded in the resin, the resin can become can be very brittle. And essentially, if your board gets dinged up and cracked a lot more easily when you don't have fiberglass, the product is going to last um, less time than it would if it did. So, you know, that, that that's something that we, we went through... Um, in the past few months, um, where we were actually, um, you know, moving from a no fiberglass system to a very thin layer of fiberglass, which is what we're using now. And then that, that also ties up with, um, something else that we've been working on, which, um, I would like to talk about. So it's a funny thing because once I, I was talking to a friend and he, he's been making surfboards for a very, very long time. And he has, um, a mate of his who actually took out one of the Solomon hollow surfboards i'm not sure if you've heard of those but essentially solomon embarked on this campaign to manufacture a hollow core surfboard uh it it wasn't made out of timber but this guy was surfing one of those and he punctured the board when it was in quite big surf and he he just mentioned he he was just telling him like uh oh i I could have drowned out there you know it was big surf because the entire board as it as it was hollow just completely flooded up with with water so the board got very very heavy he didn't essentially just didn't have a, any flotation device he said that the board almost drowned him so you know we, 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 were, kind, we were kind of thinking about this and we were like oh yeah well you know our, our boards were hollow at the time so and hollow and completely connected so it kind of made us think about uh is this the really the right way to go, go about this if a board gets punctured you know it could it could be a risk to somebody so what we ended up doing was creating these isolated compartments inside the board and they're isolated because, you know, essentially you have wooden walls in between the compartments and these compartments um, stop the entire board from flooding if it gets a puncture. 
So this way it's a bit safe. It's it's a lot safer for the user. But um also just to make sure that the board, you know, breathes and vents air a lot. We've we've attached a network of Gore-Tex vents throughout the structure such that the board can breathe and it's not compromised if it's if it's put into a plane or left uh, in the sun on a hot day. Yeah, so the so the board has anywhere between, you know, 20 to 30 or 40 individual um compartments uh which you know essentially are closed off to water flow that enable air and and gas flow uh between them as far as we're concerned this hasn't been done in in wooden surfboards before so you know we're quite psyched with our inventive method i guess and i think it's a good step forward yeah that's very cool and am i right in saying that most uh, existing hollow chamber timber surfboards on the market now have the capacity to flood if there's a ding because they're not sort of closed off chambers. Is that right? Yeah, if the board gets um, punctured, essentially the water can sort of flow all the way uh, between them. Um, typically with the rib and kind of like spine structure that uh, other wooden surfboard manufacturers use, they normally have um, kind of like pockets. Uh, in each of those ribs, uh, which are probably for uh, to reduce weight, and but also to enable kind of like air and, and water flow between it. But that essentially means that you know if the board was underneath the water, the entire thing would fill up with with water without sort of much hindrance. And that also means that you know any water inside the board affects the entire board as well. Yeah, so if there is a ding, if you got some sort of hole or a ding in your board and it was compromised and water could go in, um, how would someone fix that ding then? Yeah, so it's it's just a matter of, um, you know, with, with all the boards that we make, we, we provide schematics of the internals. So they're, they're not very complicated. Nobody has to be afraid of them. But essentially it tells you where each of the cavities are. So you can easily just, you know, drill into one of the cavities with a drill, uh, drain out all of the water, leave it to dry for you know about a week or so, and then what you can do is you can seal that up just by simply you know putting a dowel in, um, sanding back the dowel, and then coating it over with resin. Or, or if it's a you know like a, a fin strike or something on the rail, some of which the water can easily kind of make its way out of, you potentially wouldn't even really need to do that. Um, the key is that you you know you do need to leave it. Um, you know, a couple of days, maybe a week to enable the water to, you know, move out and, and for that pocket to dry before you then seal it. You know, the moisture in the water is only only affects that small area. Yeah, so that's that's really the main advantage. You know, if, if your board gets gets punctured, only one thirtieth of the board, which is the size of the compartment, only one thirtieth of it is actually going to be able to soak up that water that's been inside, right? Because like the problem with the, uh, the durability in many wooden boards is that if water gets in, you know, the water inside absorbs all the, the moisture and water and then it, it's really hard to, to get it fully dry again. But, you know, by having only a certain amount of the board be able to flood with each puncture, the, 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 board, the quality of the board is intact and, and the weight of the board is intact even if you get a ding or multiple dings. It does sound like it's easier to fix than a traditional foam and resin board where so much can go wrong i've had dings where it's just a nightmare the foam uh, the foam absorbs water resin cracks and then trying to fix it to to match you know you can pay upwards of like 50 bucks for someone to fix it but i imagine a timber surfboard 
just like any piece of furniture is a lot easier to to plug that hole and then sand it down as well yeah for sure and if you're if you're located near us then we'll, we'll happily take your board in and fix it for free Every surfer has his favourite beach and the style he personally swears by. One of the tricks of the sport is to recognise the right wave. With all that surf, sand and sunshine, what would you do? The timber surfboard manufacturers that I've spoken to, weight seems to be the biggest, the biggest hurdle in matching the performance of, of foam and fibreglass boards. Is that correct in your opinion? Yeah, so so that that has been like the the largest, you know, the largest hurdle for us, I'd say, um, because you know weight doesn't doesn't just mean performance; it also means you know safety in the surf. You don't want a, a five kilogram surfboard, you know, hitting you. You'd you'd really rather a, a three kilogram surfboard hitting you. So um, if you had to get hit, that is. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, weight's been a huge issue. So that was another reason for the the switch for us to go from you know no fiberglass to fiberglass. You know, fiberglass is about twenty times stronger than just regular resin. So embedding that fiberglass in the deck of the surfboard does does allow us to take more wood out of the inside, which then in, in turn makes the boards lighter. So at the moment, as it stands, our boards are only um, ten to fifteen percent heavier than standard boards for our shorter models around 0 0.4 0 0.3 kilograms for those shorter models so it's really not much and you know unless you're a high performance professional surfer you wouldn't even notice it when you picked it up um but then as the boards get longer for for boards above eight foot like for you know nose rider long boards and all that we're actually able to make our boards lighter than your regular surfboard because Instead of um, only having the strength, you know, distributed in the shell of the board, we can distribute the strength throughout the internals and just with a thin layer of fiberglass on the outside. So in, in the end, they are, you know, more durable to any sort of snapping, but um, also um, lighter for those, those longer boards. Yeah, okay. And is this, is this something that you're, you're constantly looking at, trying to reduce uh, testing, because I imagine just as technologies increase and get better, it might be something that you can improve in some areas of the board. Yeah. So, you know, at the moment we're weighing the board kind of every step of the way, um, you know, the pieces once they've been CNC cut out, you know, once the board is sanded to really get like a good idea of, you know, where the weight is and where the weight is being added in each um, step and yeah that sort of weighing throughout the process is is really important because even something like natural variation in in timber density right um depending on you know which area of the tree it came from can can have an impact right can you elaborate a bit more on that uh typically it, it depends on how the timber is cut uh, but close to the middle of the tree um the you know the timber tends to be slightly denser um and it does it does depend on like if you think of the growth rings of a tree it, it affect and, and the way that it's sawn it really affects the the density so for that we kind of use like an average an average model if we say we want you know some planks which weigh five kilograms for example then we'll we'll try to make sure that the planks that we're using for a board all kind of add up to to meet that um and that's kind of something which we're kind of working on a process 
at the moment to kind of like get that consistency. But, you know, wood being a natural green material does does vary as opposed to like foam, you know, where it's always, you know, it's always the exact same density. We're always open to the idea of, um, you know, like improving the boards, of course. Um, but at the moment, we have a, a method that we're very confident in. We think it's a great product. And you uh, you mentioned earlier that you use Paulonia timber. Is it an easy enough timber to to get supply wise um there's never any issues with with sourcing it and is it i I know it's a a very fast growing timber so it is actually something which is um a bit difficult to source because for us we need to have fairly large timber sections to make it um efficient and sort of waste free so if us with our surfboard pieces we want to kind of like nest quite a few different pieces on one um plank of wood um, so that means that the plank of wood needs to be, you know, a certain width. Otherwise, we're going to, you know, have a low yield and, you know, there's going to be more waste. And what we found in trying to deal with and, and work with, um, you know, Australian uh, plantation is one up near Coffs Harbour. In Australia, we simply don't have the, the trees or the volume of polonia available um, to be able to supply the, the sections of the size of timber and volume of timber that we need. Um, so initially we were working with, uh, this, uh, supplier from Cops Harbour and they just really had limited supply. So we do have to import the timber, uh, simply just because it's not, you know, not available in the sizes that we need in Australia. Um, but it is, you know, overseas, it's, um, you know, very commonly grown. I remember reading that it's an Asian species. Is that right? Originally? Yeah, so it's, it's native to China and Southeast Asia as well. And it has a, a lot of uses in Japan as well. Yeah, it's very, very commonly used for um, coffins, actually, which is quite surprising. And musical instruments as well. Yeah, like lightweight coffins. <laughs> yeah, all right, interesting. So it sounds like you've you've come a long way in the space of a couple of years. Um so not only have you been designing and making surfboards, but you're really entrepreneurial as well because you've created a startup. What's been the most enjoyable moment and the least enjoyable moment of the whole journey so far? For me, the most enjoyable moment is is um, just seeing everything work, you know, <laughs> like having the pieces come off the machine and it's all good and then having the board sand really easily and then having them laminate really easily. Just just having the whole process work is is, is a huge satisfaction. And then just um, seeing other people surf them and just really enjoying their time on them and just, you know, that, that look on their face when they surf it for the first time. It's kind of like, wow, I never knew a timberboard could do this. And that's that's just for me at the end of the day what, what I really love about this. Yeah, for me it's probably, you know, when we finish off a board and you just go, you know, wow, that's like, you know, a genuine product. You know, that's something which, you know, high quality, you know, the weight feels good. It's got a good shape. Like it you know, like when you think that's something oh, you know, like that's something that people are gonna be happy to to pay money for, you know, have a great time surfing. Um, low point. We, I, I, we, I always make a, we always make mistakes, and there's been, there was, there was a time when we made quite a few mid-length boards, and then we realised that the machine had some like calibration issues, and the board just came out quite, they came out a little bit heavier or quite a bit heavier, and kind of like thicker than we wanted, 
um, because that was that was just quite disappointed because we'd not only you know used up um, the, the timber in producing those, it was also you know the time and we'd we'd done all the laminating of those and then we 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 only want to provide you know a high quality you know product that meets you know our our own you know standards. So for us having to go, uh, we can't really sell that. You know, is always a bit um, frustrating. But I think that's also really important because for a brand, especially a, a new brand, that attention to detail, that focus on quality is really important because, you know, if any customers are really unhappy, um, you know, with their product or they, they have an issue, you know, potentially early on, that could be quite like a detriment um, for us. So, yeah, just focusing on, you know, making sure all our customers get like a, you know, everything that produces like a high quality product. That's what people would expect is is important yeah that was that was kind of my probably my low point because that was just a bit of a disappointment just general engineering setbacks i think you know you, you think you've got something figured out because you decided to make a decision because you had a you you, you realized that something was wrong in a certain way and then and then you correct it and then it turns out that four months later you realize that you made the wrong decision or it was the wrong internal structure for this reason and and then and then you know you you've made ten boards with with that structure, and and you start thinking, ah, damn, it's it's, yeah. it's not the one I wish it was. But I I think that that's a bit demoralizing. But then, you know, if you come back to the drawing board and then you work through it, it it's it, it's always worth it, you know. And I think what was it like? Dyson took he had like five thousand vacuum cleaner prototypes or something. So so yeah, I can't can't really complain because we haven't had to make make five thousand surfboards um, prototypes yet, but. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, things that give us setbacks are a bit frustrating, but it's always worth it. It's just so it's all water underneath under the bridge, you know. <laughs> so it's you know probably a big thing is yeah, like when you when you spend all this time, it's a head. Oh, you got this problem to solve, and it's a massive headache, and then you solve it, and then you don't even end up ne- needing to solve it, you know, because you maybe you change the way that you do it. Would part of that be like are either of you perfectionists in any way? Are you like really obsessed with detail um or or is it the opposite you're just happy to kind of keep tweaking as you go oh i mean it was definitely a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to shaping the boards <laughs> um, he he you know he really wants the shapes of the board to be perfect you know like you'll we'll, we'll make a we've done quite a few iterations of our fish board for example and he'll you know take it out for a few surfs oh this needs to be slightly thinner you know, this needs, you know, I think that, and that's, but that's also really good uh, because that, that constant iteration is going to be really important for us, you know, a, as a business to stay ahead of any um, sort of, you know, market competition. But um, am, I, am I myself a bit of a perfectionist? Yeah, I am. But I also, I feel like sometimes I do let things, um, you know, like there's some things, oh, 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 that's fine, that's fine, when it's kind of not, and that can be a little bit annoying as well. Um, yeah i think it's a a fine line between you know getting the design right and and those sort of perfectionist traits are useful in that sense because it's such a high performance industry where you know the smallest detail on the rail the any part of the board where there's kind of water moving off it you know you think about the hydrodynamics and all that and are you are you happy with the technology that you've got at the moment making the boards or is that something you're still uh looking to improve 
Um, yeah, so the way that we're making the boards at the moment um, and the way that we're making them, doing it for about the past month or two, uh, we've been really happy with. So previously, we were kind of like fixturing. We, we were making the pieces quite similar, but we were kind of like fixturing them onto our CNC machine sort of a different way, which was fairly um, manual. Um, but now what we're doing is we're actually um, using a, a vacuum pump um, which is creating essentially creating negative, uh, not negative pressure, but removing, you know, the pressure so that the atmospheric pressure is then pushing down. Uh, and that, you know, at a, at a full vacuum, you can get around six kilograms of force per square inch uh, of hold down force. And so that's enabling us to hold all of the pieces in place while we're machining it without the need to, um, you know, use screws, things like that. And that also helps us reduce um, waste in the process as well, because we don't need to make these fixture fixture boards, which you know we need a couple for each board. We now we don't have to have that. We don't have to do those those fixture boards. Yeah, and so um, I'd say around eighty percent of the shaping is actually done by the CNC machine. Um, you know, it probably doesn't sound as you know as in touch with the board as if you, if you had a person hand shape the whole thing from start to finish, but um, you know, if, if you want to make wooden boards more affordable and available for people, we really need to look at, you know, new technologies that kind of automate the, the, the processes. So, um, yeah, about 80% of the shape is done by the CNC machine. And then just the, the final sanding is essentially just done by hand, you know, s sort of like what you would um, experience just with a regular surfboard shaping machine, a foam shaping machine. So after it comes off the foam shaping machine, they just give it a, a small hand sand down with a, you know, with some sandpaper and then and then they just throw some glass on it after that. Yeah, we, we just um, released a report yesterday, actually, um, about the carbon cost of surfboards uh, in consultation with UTS and also Carbon Halo. They measured the carbon emissions for different elements of the surfing manufacturing process and CNC machines are actually considerably more eco-friendly than hand shaping, which is kind of surprising because uh you know they measured the energy of the machine and everything all those different variables but then maybe the um the efficiency of making surfboards means that the the environmental impact is lowered yeah realistically for uh yeah we, we we saw that and we were kind of intrigued in that um probably something which uh as that as well is um probably like failure potentially like you know like a failure rate or something like that of you know, making boards by hand compared to a machine. If you're making a, you know, a hundred identical boards, you're probably going to have less, um, you know, blanks and stuff with issues as opposed to a um, hundred boards made by hand. Um, you know, for, that's for like a foam foam blank, you know, typical shaping. Because when you think about it, a you know plane or you know similar sander or something like that, it probably uses about the same power as a as a router spindle or something like that um so yeah we, that probably we, we were quite interested in like we'd, we'd love to like see a little bit more in what kind of went into that statistic but you know that's probably around right probably similar i thought it was very interesting and and you guys came to um came to a very close conclusion with that um study from the um university of berkeley was it or um i can't remember which university but essentially there's there another um, scientific study and you guys had almost identical numbers which is is quite promising right for a, 
are a nice and accurate study. Oh, that's good to know. It's good that we're not completely different. Otherwise, yeah, and uh, just the layer, the layer of them, the study, and the just makes it like really approachable for people and you know, easy to read and easy to gain information from. Yeah, I think that was the uh, not to take the spotlight away from you guys in this chat, but the objective was to create something that the surfing industry can read uh, rather than an academic study, which can be bogged down in stats and I think as soon as it's just something that is just text on a white piece of paper that you know multiple pages people can get put off by that so I'm glad you enjoyed it if you'd like to support our work here at wave changer how about buying a wave changer club membership starting from just three dollars a week heaps of discounts monthly prizes and giveaways and if you'd really like to help us make an impact consider our top level reef membership which puts you in the draw each month to win some truly unique prizes, such as a surfboard shaping experience, a morning surf and breakfast with a pro surfer, and much, much more. Head over to our website, wavechanger.org, to find out more. You mentioned James Dyson earlier and those 5,000 prototypes, which is really fascinating. But do you have any other influences that, maybe when you got started on this journey or even now someone that you really kind of look up to and respect in terms of design and innovation yeah i i guess i'm i'm into a lot of podcasts that kind of interview founders of companies um and you know there are there are a few that you know really like draw my attention you know mostly ones that fight for sustainability or have built really large companies and you know, th- like hearing about how they think about things and work on things is, is really interesting. And I find that to be inspiration. Alistair, anyone that a lot of respect for? Not necessarily more, more, uh, more like a, a method of thinking, like constant iteration and, and trying to avoid um, hurdles and you know, bureaucracy and stuff in a, in a business. I think that's what a big thing for us, you know, trying to, uh, you know, early on we were iterating, um, you know, quite, quite fast but now that we've you know figured everything out you know just that you know rapid rapid process is something like a that that methodology that mentality and without trying to name any competitors or um showcasing any other work of others who in the surf industry or what brands uh, any designers, shapers from the surfing world that you think are doing some really cool stuff that you would like to kind of match in a way? Yeah, so I think that there are lots of people out there who we'd like to work with. You know, like if, if people are still making boards the old way, you know, we, we really, we don't want to like act like we're invading anybody's space. Essentially, we kind of want to bring people along for the ride if this is, um, you know, a way that, that surfboards are going to be like made very commonly in the future. So something that we're looking to do is is sort of invite other shapers um, to you know um, make their shapes with our technology, and then um, you know so so that we can also scale more rapidly and just have a, a larger impact in general. Because you know there, there's just a wealth of knowledge out there in terms of you know shapers' shapes and and brands and, and all this stuff, which we'd love to tap into and and just bring on board but to name a few companies specifically um there's veg your surf in new zealand who i think makes great products as mm. well as varuna surf i think they're really pushing pushing some boundaries in what wooden surfboards are capable of 
but uh everything else like i can't really think of anything else off the top of my head um that is uh we've worked with steve o'donnell a lot we think he he's a great guy and and you know has been very helpful to us um, how about any inspiration outside of the surfing world any kind of designs or technologies um or even any um systems of thinking yeah, so I think with with you know surfboards and and and, and shapers, there's kind of two two types of sort of IP that they have. You know, they've got their the shapes, you know, the actual profile of the board, how they've made it, and for many many shapers, you know, that's a career long career long thing. You know, they've they make their boards this way, and and customers, you know, repeat customers go to them because they they like that shape. Um, but there's also the you know the way that they make their shapes uh, and the way that they make the boards and the individual little, you know, things that they do. So, for example, you know, some some smaller, um, you know, shapers, they'll do like quite like a, a different way of doing the the leash plug, which is where they, they cut out like a little bit of fiberglass shape sheet and sort of have it embedded on it and they glass over that and things like that. Just all those little um you know, little things is is quite nice, and I really like going on kind of, you know, Instagram and you know going down the whole rabbit hole of, you know, seeing all these different, you know, tips and tricks that that people do because there's you know like there's so many boards out there and there's such a variety of boards you know like asymmetrical boards, you know, people where they have chant you know like people are something now people are looking at is you know doing kind of like more like finless boards where you use the channels. And focusing on trying to make a, you know, a board with deep enough and high enough channels that you can actually avoid having fins on the board and things like that. Um, there's also a guy just up the coast from Sydney, uh, Fins Cordal, um, who's really looking at a um, sort of a biometric based uh, fin where he, um, uh, I believe, he just recently got a, a patent on it, a worldwide patent. Um, but essentially, he's looked at uh, how kind of like a whale and dolphin fin, um, you know, work and they flex and using biomimicry to create like a flexible um, polycarbonate or lexan fin, um, which is, you know, something which hasn't really been seen in the surfboard industry much. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, innovation in terms of shape and boards. But in terms of the process of, you know, like there's that, there's that two IP, there's the way that you make the board. Um, which, you know, we're going for the CNC wooden structure and there's also the shape. And so, you know, we can use the way that we make the board with almost any shape, you know, which yeah. gives a great kind of, uh, you know, ability to, you know, meet different requirements and work with different people, that type of thing. Yeah. In terms of method- methodology, our aim is to make lots of boards, like lots and lots of boards, um, you know, ha- have a significant chip of the market transition to wooden surfboards as well. So. We really want to aim for scale because that's where we're going to have the most impact and that's where we want to be. Yeah, and all that focus on providing like a, a product that is of comparable price as well as something that's important to us, you know, because people aren't going to choose a wooden surfboard if it's twice the price of a normal surfboard, for example. Where would you ideally see yourselves positioned in the market five years from now? Uh, five years from now, I would love to see us making our own shapes but not only that making shapes for you know many other manufacturers in australia and to be making you know 100 surfboards a week that that would be a dream 
surfing is something to be learnt and once learnt, never forgotten. Once learned, never forgotten. Okay, this next bit is called Hang Five. Five quickfire questions, and I'd just like you both to give your answer in just a few words. Number one, what first got you interested in your environmental journey? Emil. Emil, Emil introduced me to the idea of making wooden surfboards for me um i guess my my mother's always been a bit you know environmentally conscious and that's kind of rubbed off on me a little bit so and i i yeah i've been wanting to start a business so i think something in the envi- in the environmental space is you know, good use of my time just to just to add on to my section i'm sorry it's breaking your thing but you know you might you know emil always says oh you know i, I do more of like an engineering kind of thing here running machinery things like that but i i, I actually studied environmental science at university, um, climate science, atmospheric science, and sort of you know geology and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's helped me. You know, really, really see that you know there's a there's an issue here. Identify that, and I like that also helps kind of like put things into perspective as well in terms of what to target. You know. Yeah, of course. Number two, who inspires you the most from the environmental movement? This is going to sound a bit cliche, but, but I like what Elon's trying to do with the environment just on all fronts. You know, there are so many people. And I, I think, like, it, it, it's becoming more and more common with, with all people in, in all industries who, um, who are trying to transition sustainably. You know, you're, you're seeing it in all businesses. And, you know, there's inspiration to be drawn from many people. Uh, I don't really have one uh, main person, but probably the... The school, the school strike for climate movement. Um, you know, I think that's been a really big thing in providing, uh, especially younger people, especially kids, you know, under 18s, a platform through which to express, you know, what they view is important. So yeah, I think that's that's been you know really important. So maybe you know, Greta Thunberg and the school strike for climate unit uh, movement. Yeah, I agree. I think the activism is a kind of critical cog in the whole thing. You know, design, innovation, materials, activism, uh, politics. But yeah, yeah. Um, just really, really giving giving like everyday people like a voice. You know, and a platform because you know in Australia, you know we have you know we're a democracy. We get to vote, but that's not you know that's not always enough. You know, mm. it's important for people to express their views. Very true. Um, what's the coolest response to the environmental crisis that you've seen? Uh, probably sea forest. Probably sea forest with the, um, I can't remember exactly what type of this, you know, the seaweed to, um, to help reduce or massively reduces methane um, produced by livestock, you know, both sheep and, and cows and cattle. Um, I think that that's, yeah, that's been something like, you know, really out there. You know they're they're moving really really fast. Um, I, I follow them on social media, and I think you know they recently just have just launched their first boat, uh, which is custom designed for seaweed farming. You know, so I I think for them, yeah, that's that's something, you know, which I go wow. You know, fairly long journey for them, but you know now they're making such fast fast progress, 
And I think just recently they were at the COP22 um, conference, you know, as well, talking a lot over there. So, yeah, probably, probably Sea Forest. Um, there's a couple of people behind that. Good choice. Not so much cool, but just the, just very essential, just the renewable energy developers and electric car manufacturers. It's just you know, straight to the point and where it needs to happen really importantly. So, Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite marine animal? I like seals a lot. I like aqua puppies. <laughs> yeah, probably um maybe the oh, it's, it's local, but probably the blue the blue groper. Something like that. If you you know, they're very stationary, you know, you'll go diving and they'll just be, you know, sitting there and you know, there's not much not much going on, but lethargic. They're, they're very they're very lethargic, you know, it's they're almost like the koala of the of the Australian animal kingdom. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you know they are protected, you know, because if you go if you go you know fishing with a line, you'll never catch one. But of course, with spear fishing, they just sit there. You know, they're they're protected from spear fishing and things like that, which is good because you know they're you know they're a beautiful big big creature. Yeah, I didn't know that they were protected. That's interesting. They um, are, yeah, because they're so big that if they didn't have any sort of you know protection, spear fishermen would. Just They'd be gone in a week, you know. Like they're the easy, they'd be the easiest thing to catch in the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Just hiding underneath a little, a little rock, you know, poking out. Yeah, yeah. Finally, in our bid to save the planet, can you give a short sentence to inspire others to keep going? It's definitely possible. I think everyone needs to pitch in a little bit for it to happen. So everyone can just keep trying and everybody can make a difference. And that's the most important thing to remember. Yeah. I think for, I think for, you know, individuals, those listening along, you know, at home, it's just, you know, it might seem like it is a, you know, it's a monumental task and it's going to require, you know, action on a global scale and, you know, unity that hasn't been seen, you know, you know, since, you know, World War II, you know, when the public banded together, people were, Putting money towards, you know, lens for things. You know, people used to go around and collect aluminium pans from people in Britain, you know, in 1940, and they would collect all their aluminium goods and they would recycle it, and melt it down to make airplanes. You know, but I, I think for the everyday person, you know, just breaking down the task, you know, looking at ways that they can, you know, easily reduce consumption, make it, make a list, and just, you know, slowly tick things off because, you know, it's an expensive and it's a complicated leap. Um, to do it, you know, all at once, but you know, just chunking the task and and, and breaking it down and going step by step. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And if if, if, you, if the everyday person is conscious about how they, you know, if you consume more consciously, then you are essentially pr- providing funds and and money for for um the companies who are trying to make a difference. So you you can help for, in, in an indirect way. Yeah, wise words. Um, hey, thanks for the interesting chat with both of you. I'm excited to see what comes next with Sign Surf, and I really hope you guys go one step further. Awesome! Yeah, thanks for having us, Tom. I had a great time. And yeah, and, you know, good work again on getting that article finished off and working with Carbon Halo. It's a it's a good read. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to support our work at Wave Changer head over to our website at wavechanger.org and we hope you'll consider buying a membership for our Wave Changer Club, which features giveaways, entries into our monthly draw with amazing prizes and access to a bunch of great discounts from our partner brands. Your support allows us to expand our impact and make an even bigger difference to safeguarding our planet. See you next time.